1: This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com.
0: This is the Comedians Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and today I'm talking to Ian Stone. This is actually an episode recorded about... I mean, it must be getting on for six weeks now. No disrespect to Ian. I've been looking forward to to bringing this one to you. But I've had some live shows that I wanted to uh, release while they were still current. Um, And so this one has been kept in the can. Uh, Another couple I've mentioned a few times that uh, I know you'll all be gagging to hear is I've still got Dara O'Brien and indeed Matt Lucas, uh, both safely stored on my hard drive. Not just episodes, the actual people. Um, so, uh, don't worry that there's not more stuff to come. I don't know if you were worrying that. I don't remember where I said that. I, this is one of those episodes where I, you will be able to chart my, my catastrophic mental collapse, uh, in the blurbs in between, because I am very much in the middle of a, a sort of... Uh, some sort of multiple Venn diagram of podcast stuff, writing stuff. Hey, I tell you what. No, let tell you what. Let's get on with the uh, let's get on with the episode. Let's hear uh, half of what Ian has to say, and then the middle bit. Uh, I, it's re- it's really good. This was a really good conversation, and uh, I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. And then in the middle point, I will excitedly say two things to you that uh, that I'm excited about. So, without further ado, let's hear from the brilliant, brilliant comic. He's a store headliner. And uh, I, I've gigged with him all over the place. He's one of those guys who has just got fingers in many pies. Very, very experienced. And, uh, but does that add up to uh, the perfect happy life as a comic? Let's find out. This is Ian Stone. Let's talk about podcasts. Because you okay. say you're, you, know, you know what you're doing. You know I was going to ask you uh, what you had for breakfast this morning because you're used to being in a sound engineering environment. Yes. You do, and you're involved with a number of different podcasts.
2: Well, uh, the main podcast I do is the is a thing called the Tuesday Club. It's uh, with Alan Davis and Keith Dover, who used to be on
0: the circuit. I know Keith Dover. Yes, I remember him. I've gigged with him once. A well, time. I
2: yeah. work with Keith quite regularly, and we do a podcast. And there's another guy, Tyo, who's a DJ, mm-hmm. and um, we do an Arsenal podcast, an Arsenal themed podcast. Essentially, it's just three blokes moaning. About football, okay. and and it's we've been doing it for five or six years, and we uh, we do very well. People really like it, and obviously having Alan helps. Mm-hmm. And um, we that is it. It's moaning about Arsenal, but in a funny way. And apparently, we're funnier when we lose. Okay, so over the last five years, it's been bloody funny. Okay,
0: okay. essentially. Um, and do you prepare for it, or is it just you turning up and having a natter? With we watch mind?
2: football, and then we go and talk about it. And it and it the thing was, we got asked to do it. Um, Years ago, and and we all sit together. We all go to the games, and we have a shared history as well. And and the thing with any broadcasting it doesn't really matter what it is. Chemistry is the key. Mm. It seems to me. And and we have genuine chemistry. So when we're sitting there, going, Do you "Remember that thing fifteen years ago when we did this," and and we're laughing a lot at each other's jokes, and and people like listening in. It. I mean, people have said it's like a pub conversation. Only it's funny. With
0: three of your funniest mates. Sort yes, of thing. Yeah, essentially,
2: yeah. Okay. and that's and so I um, I've done that quite regularly for the last five years, almost okay. every week through the season.
0: And you're it's interesting because you're someone who seems to me to have created. A, uh, how should I put this? I was going to say you've created a very nice life for yourself. You seem to do like. You do a a successful podcast talking about the thing you love with your friends, Mm. and you, you, as a comedian, you're you do the store, you do the cutting edge. You're sort of you know you're known as someone who regularly turns over loads of material. You don't certainly you're not. I suppose what I'm trying to say is you're someone who's been in the game for a long time without getting without certainly on the outside without seeming to be. In any way, kind of bitter or cheesed off that you didn't make it further or anything like that. Do you know what I mean? You you seem like I've oh, I've got everything I need.
2: Well, that's that's nice that you say that. I um I, I tend to keep any bitterness to myself and at <laughs> home. Right, that's the truth of it. I mean, people say oh, you seem you know you're you're always in a pretty good mood, and but I, I you know what? It's a work environment, and if I'm going to a work environment, I'm I, there's bits of me that I leave. At home, I don't bring that out with me. Um, obviously, on stage, if I'm feeling a bit low, then I'll just moan about what's annoying me, and that that's useful. That's a little escape valve. But, no, I'm, I'm trying to make my life as, as, as good as I can, and, and my work life, you know, this is a job that you can make into what you want it to be, right? So what I've discovered, the football, I know we were just talking before we started, mm-hmm. but you know nothing about football, but... Uh, Football is a thing that I, I'm into. I go to football and I talk about football. And that has sort of become quite a big part of my career, what with one thing and another, sport generally. And, and uh, I'm lucky enough to have had a few nice gigs out of it. And then the stand-up on top of that, well, I enjoy doing it. So, so and I, all I've tried to do is just hone it down to the gigs that I like doing. Okay. And, and, and um, because I've got a few extra bits and pieces... I'm able to do you can
0: just do that so you never get to a stage I suppose where you're thinking oh Christ this one again because you've taken those out because you've been able to
2: um yeah in general I really I rarely gig outside of London anymore uh not because I don't like the rest of the country just because I don't want to travel I mean Mm -hmm. the travel is the it, it kills you really it's hard and I've done enough of it I've been to every motorway service station in the country I've been to most towns Aside from Derby and Blackpool. I <laughs> You've never been to I've never been a Derby or Blackpool. or Blackpool. But I've been to I've Derby for a football game.
0: Okay.
2: But I've never been to Blackpool, which is odd if you think about com- comedians. Sure. Almost every comedian went to Blackpool. Uh, I've never been, never been, don't really want to, to be honest with you. But, you know, English seaside towns I'm not that keen on as in general. Um, but I tend, I've, I've just wanted to hone it down to the things that I like. And, and most of the time, no, I don't get that feeling of, oh, no, not this again. Because if I do, then I stop doing it mm. if I, and because i'm I'm able to, then that's worked out quite well
0: so which rooms do you look forward to then which ones have made it through the filter of um, I, I I love doing a
2: store. It's a great room. It, it's just a great room. Four hundred and eight people, I believe, and it's
0: got a. <laughs> no, that is that is the answer of an experienced pro. Somebody told me four hundred eight, and I've, I've yeah, never been plus bothered, Graham in the sound. Plus <laughs> Graham in the sound. I've never
2: been bothered to count the seats, but that's what I'm telling. Four hundred eight okay. people. Low ceiling, semi-circular stage. People are close to you. It's a perfect gig, really. Uh, I mean, there are other lovely gigs, you know. I, um, there's a little gig in London now called Top Secret that I really like. I know. Um, well, yeah. uh, there's another one on the same road as the store called the Piccadilly Comedy Club, mm-hmm. which is a great gig. I love, w- particularly the upstairs room. I just like I like them when they're close to you. You know, Hampstead used to have a comedy club when it was in, it was actually in Belsize Park. Mm-hmm. That was a fantastic room. I mean, they, I mean, you could touch the front row mm-hmm. if
1: they would
0: let you. Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, um, you know, I, that's those are the sort of rooms I like, intimate rooms. I'll do up the creek once in a while. I'll do the banana once in a while. I'm thinking about what's in my diary. There isn't a lot else, okay. really. I mean, it's just London, that's great yes, central
0: it's London. The gigs. near ones that I like that you can pick and choose. Like this is, you know, that's right in in terms of intimacy.
2: It's that's what it really. I think I think comedy is quite an intimate. Thing. I mean, I saw... I met Mickey Flanagan at the, the Comics Christmas Party a year and a half ago. Mm. And I said to him... Uh, I was talking to him, I said, how's the O2? I said, what's it like playing to 10,000 people? And he goes, 15,000, right? <laughs> <laughs> or whatever it is, right? We're having a laugh. And it was very, very funny. But he said, it's not fun. It isn't fun, mm. really. Um, because it, you're just... You're saying the lines and you're trying to do the best you can, but... It's too big. It's, t- it's too big to do a, a proper comedy show. I, I tend to think four or 500 is about right.
0: It strikes know. me, and I've never done anything approaching that, sort of that, that size, but it's, um, someone once told me about skydiving, that you almost don't jump out of a plane because it's such a different environment. You're inside the plane and there's this window to a different world, and so you just step out of that and then you're in the world of outside. And I wonder if it's a bit like that. You know, I've been on stages with bands... And just looked out and seen 12,000 people and just gone, they're not here. I'm in a different building. Well, uh, well,
2: first of all, I've done a couple of sky dives and and all that happens is I sat on the edge of the plane and then they sort of helped me out (laughs) of the plane and suddenly the plane was 500 foot above me in a very (laughs) double quick time. Um, Yeah, I, I mean, there are gigs, there are big gigs like Glastonbury can be very exciting. You know, it can be very exciting. Are you going this year? I'm not going this okay. year, actually. No, but it can be very exciting to do that gig. I've had a lot of fun doing that. And some of those festival gigs can be fun. Um, and I've done, I've, I've supported people on tour a couple of times. i supported Alan Davis and i supported Ardell and I've done a few for Omid in these big rooms, you know. And some of those theatres, I did, I think, Wimbledon Theatre, 1,200 people. Mm. And it's four it's a beautiful old old style theatre, a rate stage, four different tiers, and they're almost on the 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 touch is almost on top of you. You've almost got to look up, you yeah. know. To and 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 um, that was pretty intimate, but nothing really beats four or five hundred people, or even two hundred people in a in a in a small room when they're all higgledy piggledy and just sitting close to you, and there's no tables. And they're just as close in as you can get them and they're packed in and the, and the laughs are reverberating around the, the room. It's fantastic.
0: Is, is that, do you think that, that there's um, a part of you that's had to, uh, do you think any part of you has kind of settled for that given that you're not doing massive tours yourself? Is there a part of you that's gone, I've, I've looked, do you feel you you're making the best out of what you've got or do you feel like you're getting exactly what you wanted?
2: that's quite a difficult question um have i settled for it no that's no i haven't no i I, all i what i want is with my career at present this is what it is you know i can't sell out a 500 or a thousand seat room so i have to do some clubs and so if i'm going to do clubs i'm just going to do the clubs i like and i'm going to make the most of those moments you know, I've got these people in a room. Some of them know who I am. Most of them don't. They don't care. They just want to be entertained. Right. I'm going to tell you what I think tonight. Um, but have I settled for it? No, I don't really settle for anything. I just, this is my life at the moment. I'm going to do the best I can in this environment now. In whatever that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So, I no, I, I don't. No, I don't like, I don't even like the phrase settling for something. I don't. That's not how I live. It's fight as hard as I can for whatever I can get. Okay. Right the way through. Tell me about that. Well, I, um, you know, was it rage, rage against the dying of the light? Mm -hmm. Uh, That's sort of how I feel most of the time. Just keep, keep chugging away. Keep trying new things. Keep, you know... I mean, I remember having a conversation with Sean Mio and Mike Gunn. I walked into the Comedy Store dressing room and they were having this quite intense conversation about how, oh God, what happens happens when, you know, it's a possibility that we might not get booked at the Comedy Store if we don't work hard enough. And and I walked into the middle of this conversation and they said to me, do you think like that? And I honestly said, no, I don't think like that. It doesn't even occur to me because I will work hard enough because what's the point? otherwise so that's what I mean it's it's I'm driven I'm, I'm quite driven to work hard and, mm. and to keep working you know Those I'd, are, on, sorry. I'd like sorry. to be in a position where I could do a tour a massive massive tour and sell out big venues and write an hour and a half show and and do that but while I'm not it I don't get bitter because you know it's still better than 99.9 percent of jobs i've ever had or anyone's ever had and and i get a tremendous amount of fun out of trying new ideas and and keep working and keep doing what i'm doing and the fact that i'm doing it in small venue doesn't really matter
0: so i know with every uh, every comic i interview everyone's been through the so how did you get started thing mm. and it's probably you know there's the, the sort of the potted history that you always tell but i think just for the sake of the of my listenership who maybe yeah. aren't aware of you do you think that that, that, that idea of rage against the dying of the light, of fighting for something, is that something that, that was always there before you became a comic?
2: No. No, it wasn't really. I mean, I mean, I always, I always had a work ethic. I was an engineer for 10 years. I okay. finished school. I left school quite early on. I got sort of kicked out, really, for starting a poker school in the Sitzvon corner. <laughs> And, a, po- a poker club, uh, in poker s- yeah, po- poker club. A poker school. You were school were teaching school other kids how to in play in the school? And uh, and and who, the did you learn,
0: who did you learn poker from? How were you playing poker?
2: Uh, do you know? I don't really know. I, I suddenly found myself gambling quite a lot in 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 school playing penny up the wall you know this no you, I don't know you stand in the you up against the you chuck money up against the wall whoever gets the money closest to the wall wins the money okay okay playing in the in the boys toilets quite a bit <laughs> sort of safe environment in school and then we played cards and various backgammon for money mm. used to play backgammon for money and um and then i got caught in the school and i and i got sort of kicked out but i knew i was gonna you know work at something so i i ended up becoming a, a sort of draftsman and i wanted to be an engineer because i was quite good at that maths and physics and that mm. sort of stuff and i did 10 years of being an engineer and eight of those years i was doing part-time study for a, for a, a lower a, what they call a tech and then a higher tech two years each and then a degree four years okay eight years of part-time study i'm working hard you know i work from eight o'clock in the morning till four thirty in the office doing my job. And then from 4.30 till 8, I'm studying. Most of my first eight or nine years of doing an engineer. Okay. Being an engineer. And then I became an engineer. And then I thought, I don't want to be an engineer. So I left after 10 years.
0: Did it, did it occur to you during the process of working that you m- might get to the end and not want to do it? You didn't no. have any doubt about it? You no, just went, I was This just is working. what I'm
2: doing now. Well, uh, you know, I was sort of a, I was a sacred Jewish boy, but I had that sort of ethic of, oh, I'm going to I'm going to do, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it properly. This is, I've always had that. And so I, I studied and I worked hard and I got my degree and uh, I saw the picture of myself the other day with the waterboard and the little thing, <laughs> it's ridiculous. And, um, and then I got my degree and then I slowly just thought, oh, is this it? I, I don't want to do this. So I, I decided I want to do something else. So I, I, um, I was with my partner, Rosie, who I've been with since I was 21. And I decided i want to go to the Far East, India and the Far East, to find myself, you know, as people do. And she encouraged me to do that because she thought it would be good for me to be a grown-up person, to spend some time without somebody looking after me and cooking Mm -hmm. for me and doing all that nonsense. And so I left engineering and I went went to uh, India and the Far East to find myself. And um, um, I got back seven months later and um, couldn't get a job. And started thinking about doing something else. And, you know, things happened. I met, Rosie had met a woman called Linda Miles, who was a stand-up comedian. And while I was away, so when I came back, I started going to see her. Mm. And I thought, and she was very early on. She was like 15, 20 gigs in. And I went to see her and I thought, "I I could do that. Sort of mediocre and stand there. I mean, you know, it wasn't being nasty, it's just we're 15 gigs in. I'm
0: just smiling because there's someone, uh, I I think there's a lot of comics have got some variation of that. And so no one does it unless they think they can do it. And you only really think you can do it often, you think you can do it because you see someone you know being not as good as you think you can. Well,
2: think. I mean, I knew, I, I, Rosie had been writing me letters. We, back in 1990, when you travelled, there's no mobile phones or... Fo- so you used to go to a post office in the centre of Singapore or wherever and pick up a load of letters. And I'd get about 20 letters, 19 from my mother and one from Rosie, right? OK. And, and I, <laughs> but in Rosie's letters, she would, she would uh, tell me that she'd met this woman, Linda Miles, who was, who'd wanted to be a stand-up comedian. And bear in mind that Rosie had been saying to me for five years you should do comedy. Oh,
0: okay. She oh, that had been saying to me... That predated the tripping. Oh, yeah, wait oh, I there. see, okay. For five years, she was a
2: performer, so she could see in me that I had a need to make people laugh, to talk nonsense on a regular basis. And you didn't believe her? What was your reaction when she I, said you should do it? Don't be ridiculous. Don't okay. be... I couldn't do that. I've never been on stage in my life until the point where I stepped on stage at the comedy cafe to do my first gig. Mm. It's the first time. So I... Uh, I know I never thought for one second that I could do it. And then when I went away, i tell you what happened. Uh, I, I went to India. I sat on a beach in India in Goa, and this beautiful beach, Arambol Beach at the top of Goa. And, and I'm sat there, and it was paradise. It was absolutely beautiful. It was a crescent-shaped beach with palm trees yeah. and sea gently lapping in on golden sand. Mm-hmm. And I honestly thought, my God, this is paradise. This is, look at this, this paradise, this place. And then I thought, I could do anything. I, just, you, don't, yeah. you don't have to be limited by, you know, preconceptions as to what you can do. I, my family were not, were not artistic in any way. They were not intellectual in any way. I never read a book till I was about 20. I never, you know, I didn't know about the Edinburgh Festival at all until I started being a comedian. Mm-hmm. That was the first time I'd ever heard of it. Um... It wasn't the sort of family where you came out of that and became a comedian or became any sort of entertainer. My grandmother once had dreams of being a dancer, but my granddad went, that's not a respectable job for a nice Jewish woman. And so she, you know, she was never, she never did that. But, so I never thought I could be a performer, but I knew that I wanted something else. So when I met Rosie, she was different from every other woman I'd ever met. She was, she had an artistic thing about her. She... I don't know. There was a lot about her that I just thought, "Oh yeah, you could you could open the door for me," but I didn't know mm. where to. Mm. And then two years into the relationship, when I was about twenty three. She started saying, "You should be. You should do comedy. You've got. You can't help yourself. You know. Essentially, take this shit out of here and, <laughs> and, and go and earn some money at it. And then and and you'll be happier." Because I obviously wasn't happy doing engineering. Like I used to sit in his engineering office and think, "Who are these people? These are like aliens? These people? I don't know mm. what they." What, what do you want? What I knew that I was different from them, but I couldn't work out how. When I went to India in the Far East, and I sort of worked it out a little bit. So when I got back, I did some hospital radio, because mm-hmm. I thought, well, that might be something I could do. So I did Radio Northwick Park for six months. And I applied for a radio, a broadcast journalism course. I applied for the BBC one. I applied for various ones. And, uh... And I also thought about doing stand-up comedy, and I mm-hmm. and I knew Ivor Bedil's a very old friend of mine, David's brother. I mm-hmm. know them. I know the Badil since I was seven. Okay, they used to go around their house. So I sort of knew that. I knew David, of course, was doing stuff like that. Um, and me and Ivor started sort of scribbling down ideas, not with any idea that I would do it, but just. Mm-hmm. And then we had a five-minute set and Ivor said, what are you going to do? He was writing with Marion Pashley as well, who okay. also wanted to do comedy and, and had planned to do the Comedy Cafe on August the 14th, 1991. And on August the 13th, 1991, I said to Ivor, oh, maybe I'll give it a go. Okay. And that's and then on the 14th, I did.
0: So the material that you took on with you for that first gig was yours and Ivor's yeah, that you'd written together? a mixture, yeah. And do you remember what your opening line was?
2: No, I don't remember what, I, what my opening line was, but I remember quite a lot about the gig. I remember, uh, I remember my leg was shaking and my arm was shaking, my right arm, and, and I had that sort of dry oh, mouth. Okay. And I remember after about two minutes looking around and thinking, everybody's looking at me. Mm. Everyone's looking at me. And it was, it was the first time. I'd, I'd never experienced that feeling on stage. And, and also, and I, I don't think I got any laughs not that I can remember, but I do remember Rosie sitting in the audience and there were two guys sat behind her and they, one of them said, uh, good material, terrible delivery. Right? Okay. And I thought I can live with that because I thought I don't...
0: You're not I, supposed to I, be able to deliver it.
2: How can I know how to deliver yeah. it? But at yeah. least I can sort of write a joke, mm-hmm. you know, I always, I always thought I was funny, I was always joking around, but I never, to make the leap from thinking, oh, I'm funny with my mates, to being funny, I used to go at the Comedy Store, I went to the Comedy Store in 1979. Oh my God. Uh, sorry, you know what, I said I hadn't been on stage, I had been on stage, but it didn't really count, because I got put down for the audience spot in 1979 at the original Comedy Store, Okay. and Tony Allen, Tony Allen? Tony Allen, who was the compare after Alexis Sale, introduced me at three o'clock in the morning. And I went on and said, uh, I, because he said, please welcome me in Stone. And I thought, ah, well, he said my name. I have to go on. I'm a drunk 17-year-old. So I went on, I went, uh, two lepers walking down the street, how are you, mustn't crumble, right? Was one of the jokes I did. And <laughs> was got that a original joke? Yeah, it was was it? An joke? It was an old joke, okay. an old joke. And I got gonged off at okay. the comedy store. So I didn't do it again. I didn't even think about doing it again. It was sure. just a thing that I it did was It was just a drunken fun yes. okay, yeah. When I went back and did an open spot at the comedy store, 13 years later, Don Ward said, you've been here before.
0: No yeah. way. And I
2: said, "You, you? no, I was, it was like a two minutes. He said, I recognised the nose. <laughs> and I went, okay. Thank you. I think so. That's and I and I ended up. Yeah, that's that's how I started. <laughs>
0: So this is Ian. We'll get right back to him shortly. Uh, We we cover lots of ground in this episode, so I I won't say any more about it for now. A couple of things I'm excited about. I did... Now, do you remember Kyle Kinane in his episode ages ago? A couple of... Can it be two years ago? Was it last year? Not sure. Some of you will know. Um, Kyle talked about a thing which I've also heard uh, used in reference to Chris Rock of simply taking your script and reading it out in a deliberately dull monotone in front of an audience to find out whether it's actually funny. Well, I did this last night, or a version of this, at a preview uh, held at the brilliant Betsy Trotwood, which is a, an excellent pub in Farringdon, uh, that was organised by Richard Sandling. My, uh, <laughs> my... I was, I was thinking I, I should have some sort of phrase to say about him. My, my, sois I d- literally don't know what that means. Could be anything. My, my Guado Camino. That means road guard. Um, he's a good dude, Richard. He and I used to do a double act together called Kiosk of Champions that's always threatening to somehow be resurrected for some sort of insane one-off special. Nonetheless, Richard was there, uh, as was John Henry, the story beast. Uh, More on him in a future episode, I'm sure. Very exciting comic. Uh, Richard's dad, brilliant Peter Sandling, uh, and a chap called Phil. And because those were the only audience members, we were going to can it. And then I said, well, why don't I, not why don't we, why don't I, I elbowed my way in in and said, listen, can I just use this as an opportunity to write out my show? Because in the life of my show this year, I've been keeping it unwritten. I've been keeping it on scribbles and notes and mostly live and on stage. And just in the last week, I've started to go, right, let's condense this all. Let's draw all the, draw the strings of the, the show pouch <laughs> together. Uh, and let's actually nail it down and go, right, these are the actual uh, lines. These are the jokes. So I gave it a try because I had most of uh, most of the show written out. And it was incredibly useful. And I've come away from it feeling really confident in the material of the show. And I, I think the the... The mission that I'm on at the moment is in trying to not perform because I just you know it's been 20 years of you know of uh, what we used to call at Covent Garden bollocks you know a load of bollocks with a great deal of pizzazz um, and I, I just think that that's been getting in my way. It's been sort of cluttering my my performance and cluttering my perspective as well on, on my shows. So. Here was the thing. I I sat there and in front of four nice men, we were underground. And at one point, it did feel like some awful meeting, a uh, very sort of male environment. Yeah, let's, let's make some, uh, some plans underground. Um, but we were, we, they sat, they very politely listened to it and it x-rayed the show completely it really made me go, oh, that concept definitely works because I've just said it and they're laughing. This concept is suddenly, you know, a, a glaring moment when no one is is laughing because actually that's a thing I'll normally do with charm or glibness or some sort of energy or vivre or something. And that is really good to know because I think going forward it has made me realise that um, that I can trust the stuff. Not all of the stuff, some of the stuff I cannot yet trust. But some of the stuff I can trust, and that's very exciting. The other exciting thing I was going to say, is, oh, and, and we should maybe, you know, should we do this? Should we do a, a, a regular, This that'd be a fun night for Com-Com Pod, wouldn't it? A sort of um, roundabout July, read out the script of your show in a dull monotone festival. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha, let's put that together. We'll call it monotonia or something and, uh, and do that in a future. Yeah, maybe, let's put that on the big list of shit I'm maybe going to get round to next year. Um, the other thing, I'm I, this is, i simply going to blow my own trumpet here. Soz, uh, <laughs> to, to pre, press, being pressing pause wouldn't work. Turn the sound down for 30 seconds of trumpet blowing. I know that I've already mentioned to you I'm going to the Montreal Comedy Festival, the Just for Last Comedy Festival in Montreal. It sort of hit me today that I am actually going, and I just wanted to share with you how incredibly excited I am to be going there. I'm very pleased to be going there with friends. Uh, Sarah Millican is going, Ed Gamble is going, Russell Howard is going. Uh, and so we're we're going to be in the British Gala. I'm not sure if Sarah's doing that with us; if she's doing her own show. Um, but uh, I think there's a couple of other people going as well. I don't even know who they are yet. And I'm so excited because I remember watching Vic Reeves and Bob Mortimer doing Lucky Carpet, even be, even before that, probably in my. Mid to late teens, I remember Drew Carey doing his routine. I even remember it. His opening line was, hey, no shit, I know what I look like. I look like the guy off the X-Ray Specs commercial in the back of the comic book. And he really did. All of his stuff about, hey, least it ain't snowing. poke poke poke, poke. I remember all of that. I was obsessed with that. That was the sort of comedy that I was watching as a teenager and never imagining that I might one day get to go. So, um, I, you know, that's that's all much of a muchness. I just wanted to share that with you because it just kind of clobbered me today. I, I suddenly thought, oh God, I'm actually going to go there. And uh, and maybe <laughs> struggle, as Vic and Bob did, memorably, uh, in front of an audience who really didn't know what to make of their It's My Lucky Carpet song. I thought it was quite brilliant. Um, thank you for your donations. Uh, very much appreciated as ever. I did a live podcast with Gavin Webster at Durham University. Thanks for Oscar Korononka, I believe that's the pronunciation, uh, for organising that. Thank you, Oscar. Much appreciated. Really good conversation with Gav Webster. Uh, really wasn't what I was expecting at all. He's much kind of... He, he, I don't know if he's guarded necessarily, but he was very chatty backstage. And then I think my first question slightly curveballed him and and or or maybe it was simply that his answers were very very thoughtful they were he he was very revealing and they were very thoughtful answers but it it was kind of it was a more I suppose it was about intensity it was a more intense interview than than I was expecting I was expecting something a little bit more chatty but I mean it's definitely a a solid com-com interview so you can look forward to that um and Why did I mention that? Yes, because at Durham, a couple of you came along. Thank you, guys. Thanks to those that did. Um, And uh, came along and uh, and pushed a crumpled fiver into my hand. Thank you so much. Uh, If you're a student, that is the student rate, is a crumpled fiver. If you've got a crisp one, please crumple it before you donate it. Uh, Those of you listening remotely, online, all over the world, uh, I'm still gratefully accepting your donations. Info at comedianscomedian.com is the email address and not the place where you can donate, although you you can... uh, you can, if you want, someone wanted to 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 cut out the middleman on the PayPal transactions and recently emailed me an Amazon gift voucher to info at ComediansComedian.com. Pretty smart thinking. Well done, Tom. Um, so uh, if you'd like to do that, you can. But of course, I meant to say ComediansComedian.com is the web address. You can click the PayPal button uh, and you can donate me something minus 2.7%, whatever PayPal take. Just to say thank you for the show, if you'd like to support it, it just makes me feel every one of those donations, as well as being something with which I can, for example, put myself up in a hotel in LA during the podcast festival and try and get you some sweet interviews, as well as having sort of tangible financial benefits. Uh, it's also kind of a pat on the back, and I really appreciate that. I know that you're enjoying this show because you tell me, and so do tell me, uh, attach a donation if you will, or just email and, and let me know you're enjoying it. Let me know which episodes are your favourites, which ones you wanted to share with other people, which ones that you wanted that, that made a difference to your life. Just just let me know. I'm always interested to hear, and I'm really enjoying the the various incredible myriad relationships I now have with uh, with comics and comedy fans all over the world. So so thank you all for listening. Um that got a bit uh, got a bit that got a bit goldsmith. Um coming up soon, Nazim Hussain, I think we'll do next week. We've got Gav Webster. You can still buy tickets, you can almost not buy tickets for Adam Buxton at Soho Theatre on the seventh of July. Uh remember to use the code FAFF, F-A-F-F at soho theatre.com. I think we've sold about 70, and I believe the venue seats a hundred, so get in quick. Uh, Deliso Chaponde coming up soon at the Hilarity Bites Comedy Festival uh, in Darlington. Uh, and I bumped into Roisin Conaty on the street only earlier today. i will def- definitely get Roisin on soon. I believe Michael Che is coming on soon. Uh, we've got, there's a bunch of people, Ellis James, Andrew Watts, people I've seen. I've said, yeah, let's do it. Let's let's get on it. And I'm, I've yet to book in. And then, of course, the Edinburgh run with such diverse people as Aisling B, Catherine Ryan, Joel Domit, uh, Stuart Francis, Jason Byrne. Uh, hopefully, no, I'm not going to say that name because I'm still hoping that they that they confirm. I'm, I'm not going to officially announce it until they have. But some real biggies. So uh, you can come and see that, of course, every night at the Edinburgh Festival in, during the last two weeks, apart from the 19th. So not really every night in many ways. Um, but basically the last fortnight of the festival, 11pm underneath Black Medicine. And come and see my show, not read in a dull monotone, but performed brilliantly, at 4.55pm at the Cannon's Gate. That's enough chat from me. Let's get back to the brilliant Ian Stone. So so post-Comedy cap, post-first ever yes. proper open spot, did yeah. you then book another one in straight away? Did you go, Ivor, the material was supposed to be good, let's work on it more. What, what happened next?
2: I think, I don't think I've really worked with Ivor after that. It was just because I don't think he expected me to really go and do okay. comedy. Um, but once I started, and Rosie wanted me to do it anyway, so what happened then was that me and her then became a little team. Mm. So I would I would come up with sketch ideas out, and she we'd talk about it, and I'd write them down, and, uh, and then I booked in some gigs. I booked in a few gigs. I think what happened was, in fact, that myself and Linda went to Edinburgh about... Um, Uh, maybe a week after that Mm -hmm. maybe not short not long after that to go and look at the edinburgh festival okay and i did a couple of gigs up there late night gigs both of which i died horribly at as you know obviously but but by that point i'd been in edinburgh for a week and i've been around comedians and i thought yeah this might be fun this this is look at this this is amazing we saw mark
1: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: I'd seen before, you know, I mean, I'd seen a lot of comedy. i have been to the comedy store almost every week for about two years in the mid-'80s. So oh, wow, okay. Jerry okay. So I was, I was always into it, but I never, I never thought I could do it. But when I was up in Edinburgh, I thought... Oh, it's great to be part of this. Just a tiny part. That's
0: interesting that you've because you've you've approached it you, using two kind of tropes with which I'm familiar, but combining the two. The fact that you were watching loads and loads of comedy. If you were going to the comedy store every week for yeah. two years, yeah. then you must have whether you were you know mentally taking knots t- taking knots taking notes. Yeah, you know, even if you weren't taking notes, something's going in there. I was describing to to someone yesterday the interview I did to, for a girl's blog in Argentina about how one of, the, one of the things that feels different about the comedy store is this, this slowness, the pace with which the acts walk to the mic and say hello. I think there's just an incredible... There's a, there's a, it just oozes confidence. That's something I always think. Well, they
2: people who are very experienced, aren't they?
0: Absolutely, yeah. The that, that's the difference. Up. We were talking about the difference between somebody who's been going five years and someone who's been going 10 or 15 yes. years. If five years in, even if you're funny, you're still giddy yeah. a lot of the time.
2: Yeah, it's all adrenaline, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and I'm just wondering how much of that stuff kind of must have invited. must have seeped into you and kind of programmed you most of this kind of an act.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, oh no, I'm not sure about that. I, I wouldn't say that it, it it shaped what I became. 13 years later, or 15 years. I say 13 years I, because that's the point when I felt like I really knew what I was doing. By the way, 13 years in.
0: 13 years in. It, was that is that based on a particular? gig or a particular no,
2: just bit of no. learning what was the no, moment no just uh, um i just thought i don't really care now I i know this stuff's funny and you're gonna laugh at it and it and comedy became less important and because uh, of other things going on in my life mm. comedy became less important and and suddenly I, I, I call it passionate indifference, right? I care deeply (laughs) and I don't care at all, right? So I want to be as good as I can be, but I don't care whether you like me or not, all right? Because you're going to like what I'm saying. You're going to find it funny. And if you don't, it's your fault. I genuinely think... I look at them if I don't get a joke and I go, "What? why are you not laughing at that?
0: Yes. Why are you... Why yes, are I've you?
2: seen you doing that. Yeah. Even if
0: you're not saying, why aren't you laughing at that, there's just some way... There's a way that you hold yourself that's, you know, just utterly confident.
2: I genuinely feel that. I genuinely yeah. look at them like, what is wrong with you? Why are you not... Are you making an effort not so to laugh? So does that
0: mean you never get nervous before a gig? I do get... Uh... <sighs>
2: Do you know what? I don't even know what that is anymore. I mean, I do. I do sort <laughs> That's such of. A great answer. <laughs> well, I you know. I, I, you know, I know what nerves are, and I've felt them. And I, there are occasions when I do get a bit nervous, but no, generally I think if I'm prepared, I'm ready to go, and and um, you know, it should be fine. It should be fine because mm. I know what I'm doing. That's basically how I feel. But sorry, sorry, I just I got a bit off track there. What happened was I booked some gigs in when I came back from Edinburgh and the fifth gig I did was at the King's Head, downstairs at the King's mm. Head, which I did a lot early on. Great gig, mm. fantastic, another low-ceiling, intimate room. You know, it's obviously a pattern with me. And I was on with Dave Schneider and Dave did. Um, Dave used to do a, a, a very physical act mm-hmm. where he would, he would peel an orange uh, to you can leave your hat on. <laughs> <laughs> by uh, Joe Cocker and he'd peel an orange in a very lascivious way and he's obviously got quite a, quite a sort of cartoony sort of clear yes. on face and um, and I watched this and I thought wow he is brilliant and I went on and did my thing whatever it was five gigs in mm-hmm. very new and I came off and he came over to me and he said I thought that was great I love what you're doing I mean these are the moments that sustain you. Yes. And that, that sustained me through, I think, a lot of bad gigs in the early year or two, really, knowing that Dave, who I knew was funny from mm. watching him, thought I was funny. Made, made a huge difference to me.
0: When you were in, still in the first, kind of, say, the first five years, mm. what was your writing like? Were you sitting down and writing jokes, or were you coming up with stuff on stage? You're quite sort of joke-driven... Uh, what first,
2: yeah, I like a joke. Yeah, I do. First, um, first five years. Yeah, I, what I would do is write write it down. I would sit and I would write and I would think hard about what I was going to say and I'd write it down word for word, mm-hmm. word for word, including and the, and I'd put dots in for pauses. Mm-hmm. So I'd dot 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 that'd be a pause and I would underline. The jokes, where mm-hmm. I thought the punchlines were, and if there was more than about three or four lines between uh, an underlined bit, mm. I would try and tighten that up. Okay, because I think it's important to have set setup joke, up joke. joke
0: yeah, you know, engineer also sounds quite methodical. Yeah, it, yeah,
2: well, yes, I suppose I have, I I was quite methodical in those days. Yeah, mm. and I and I and that's what I did. That's how I would write my stuff. You know, and when you the not on stage, routine. not on stage. Yes, okay, it wasn't. I wasn't in any way free enough as a performer mm. to i was still learning how to be a performer really so so i was i was it's so hard for me to even remember it's like 20 23 24 years ago mm. how i was then but i was i was young and full of energy and so i had a lot of adrenaline and i would go for it and i obviously within 2 years i was playing junglers and i was playing the comedy store and i was yes. i
0: was in Yes, you know, I was booked. Everything. I mean, this is it's, so. For, to think about twenty years ago, what to my mind it's a sort of halcyon period of as long as you can do a gig, then you start. There's there's gigs to be done, there and if you're good, then suddenly bang, you're everywhere and you. are
2: Well, there were loads of gigs. There were yeah. lots of gigs, and not many acts. And, and less acts, certainly. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's a bit like when you go to India and people say, oh, 10 years ago, it was nothing here. Yeah, yeah sure. Okay. Spoiled. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. know <laughs> in 1990, people were saying that to me, saying, yeah. oh, you should have been here five years yeah. ago. <laughs> you know, okay, well, that's
0: a relief. You can get over.
2: Yeah, you no, know, <laughs> I think it's just the same. <laughs> I think now there are too many acts. Yes, I think there were just too many of everything. Uh, not just comics,
0: everything. <laughs> <laughs> There's too many things. Too many
2: things to choose from,
0: you know. Were you giving any thought at the time to who you were on stage, to kind of your persona on stage or was it just you? Were you thinking they laugh more when I'm when I've got this attitude? Or do you know what I mean did you do you remember that at the time?
2: I used to be I I, I wrestled with the whole thing about, you know, I was sort of I was sort of self deprecatory, really. I, I still am to a certain extent. I mean, the joke's quite often on me. Less so now, because mm. I'm moaning about stuff. I was of... going to say, I
0: equate you more with a kind of complaining about other stuff. Yeah, less so now. But, so... I, but
2: even still, I used to do stuff about my nose, because I thought it better that I say it than mm. they say it, right? I used to uh, do, For the
0: benefit of the uh, the listener yeah, not familiar with him, he's got quite a big nose. He's a bigger
2: nose than the average. And uh, I and, mean, it's, uh, it's you and Addy, really, isn't it's it? It's me like, and Addy Borg, yeah. really. And John Mann, actually, John Mann also. Oh, really? John Mann's got a big nose.
0: Yeah. Um, he, uh, he wears it small. He wears it well.
2: The <laughs> thing is, I've grown into it. That's the point. Okay. I'm sort of less bothered about it now than I've ever been in my life. But it was certainly a big thing when I started. And I thought, I'm going to get stick for this. And I did. Right. I did get abuse for it. Um, and the other thing was the Jewish thing. I thought I'd, I'd bang on about the Jewish thing. Because it was, it was a thing that I was, I'm sort of, I'm not, I'm not a religious in any way, but I'm a cultural Jew. Mm. So it was something that I knew about and I could write jokes about it. Um, so I used to talk about that, really. Okay. And, and But the main thing was that, it, that, I, that I wanted them to like me. That's what I wanted. I wanted them to like me. It's what I said to you. That Thirteen years in, I finally stopped wanting them to mm. like me. But it took me a long time to, to get to that point. Early on, I was my general attitude attitude was, please like me, then you might like my jokes.
0: And what kind of uh, did you have any strategies at the time for trying to find the funny in something? When you said you were kind of you were thinking hard about stuff, were you did you have like a toolkit of uh, okay, this there's something in this idea. I'll try and turn it inside out and see if that's funny, or I'll try and put it in a context in which it doesn't fit, or you know those sort of you know I mean they're, they're kind of like um, it's almost like every, every sort and of you see a you know a how to write comedy book that goes oh well, what you, what you need to do is uh, you know take take yeah. one idea and then put another one and yeah. brainstorm both
2: juxtaposition of uh, two weird
0: ideas and stick them together and stuff see, like, like that and try and prove it you know seen
2: that I know all that happened was that I would. A lot of what I've been, what I've talked about is incredulity, really, at stuff. I used to have a whole routine, which I did in my first Edinburgh show about uh, the Jews for Jesus, hmm. right? Which I found I didn't understand the whole idea of the Jews for Jesus, right? They were about. There was a place on the Finchley Road. There's another one in Camden. Okay. They've been around for years. Okay. You know, Jews who are into Jesus in some way. And... And me and Rosie, because it was me and Rosie writing together. Mm. I mean, it wasn't. I wasn't alone here. It was me and her. Mm. And Every was, time
0: you mention, I know that my fiancee will be listening eventually to this episode, and she will smile and think, "Yes, I write some of Stu's best stuff." It's well, <laughs> <you laughs> nice.
2: I, I mean i i couldn't I couldn't have been where I am now yeah. without her. I'm still with her, by the way. Uh, Thirty years on, and uh, um, so what would happen is that I would say to her, "What about this?" And she'd say, "Yeah." That's funny, but what about doing it this way? Mm. She was really the one that who sort of taught me how to do this and I would then go, ah, and then I would come up with a couple of jokes and she'd laugh and I'd write them down okay. and then we'd work on that. And the Juice for Jesus thing was a was a I remember it I don't remember the ins and outs of it, but I remember it being a long, like five, six week period when we constantly talked about it and talked about it and talked about it. And worked it, and every so often we'd, oh, there's a bit there, yes. and and we'd open it up a little bit. Um, so I suppose we'd start with an initial concept, and then we'd open it out through endless discussion, really. Okay. And I'd try it out at clubs, and then I'd come back, and she'd say, all right, what happened tonight? And I'd say, well, that bit worked, but that bit didn't go and sometimes it'd be because I'd deliver it wrong. And sometimes it would be, she used to come to quite a lot of gigs and watch me. Mm. But sometimes it would just be because, you know, we had the ideas the wrong way round. And so we, 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 it's like a scab you pick at, right?
0: Mm. I suppose.
2: Mm. Really? And you just keep trying to find that, the thing underneath.
0: When you're writing for or, for or with other people, you've written on other TV shows. I've done a
2: couple of bits and pieces. I've written with, I've written with Omid. Uh, Okay. With okay. And I go around to Omid's house and he said, "He says, he, he comes up with ideas, what do you think of this? And I go, I'll tell you what I think of that. And <laughs> I go, and, and, and he'll write some of it down and he'll use bits and pieces.
0: Okay, you know? okay. And uh, what I was going to ask was, when you, when you do that kind of writing or when, if you've done Mock the Week yeah. and you get the package of this is what we're talking about... Um, do you try to either, either consciously or unconsciously? Does it follow that same pattern of I'm going to moan about this? Do you know what I mean? That if someone goes, Here's my idea, like, like as you just said then with Omid, if, if he says, What do you think of this? and you go, Well, here's what I think of it, you know, does it follow the same pattern? Can you kind of whip up that, the, the creative anger?
2: Yeah, it's, it's indignation. That's indignation. It, that's it's true. indignation, and, and yes, I can. I can.
0: Can you turn it on? Can you apply it to a thing you don't actually care about in yes, order to see I, what the jokes would
2: be? Well, I suppose, it's not that I don't care about it, it's just I've never thought about it,
0: <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, there, and, there, as there soon as you think about it, you'll find it annoys you. And
2: uh, probably, it will probably annoy <laughs> me in some way. You know, Hamid's talking about Middle Eastern politics or whatever, and yeah. there are a lot of things about Middle Eastern politics that bother me greatly, so we just get into it and we have a discussion. And it's it's a two you know I like working with other people I enjoy it but I don't do it that often I do it I do it from you know I do a TV show on, on BT yes there's, a football uh, football, football on the footballs on yeah football's and I on. get me and two comics and we sit around and we talk about football for an hour yeah. and, I, and I host it but I write we write a script myself and a mate of mine Simon who I've known since I was eleven who's a, a really funny guy mm. and um, we we meet up on a Thursday. And, we, um, and we, we talk about football for four or five hours and we write down some jokes about particular subjects and then we put them in a script form. And, okay. you know, it's a very collaborative... We write the script together. And it's yeah. much more fun than sitting alone.
0: Much more yeah. fun. So do you still do the, the, the sitting alone period of it? If you're, like, have you got a bit that you're working on at the moment, say, for the store? Stand-up? Yeah, stand-up. Um,
2: n- no, I, well... I say no. I do a lot of my writing now. See, we would, now I do a lot of my writing on stage. Okay. Now I, I, I don't have any plan at all. I have any idea what I'm going to say. I've got stuff that I think, oh, I might do that, I might do that, but I don't so, – so I basically walk on with a clear head, start talking and see what happens.
0: Really? Like go at the store to... on a Friday night? Anyway, You'll, you'll walk any... on and knock – you won't plan your opening move? No.
2: No, no idea.
0: No oh, idea. I wish I wish I was recording this because your face at the suggestion was lovely. Well, <laughs> no,
2: because I because I used to do that. I'm Rich Hall. I remember watching Rich Hall, and he sort of inspired me. There's A couple of comedians that I found incredibly inspiring. So I'm just oh, I'm okay. parking. Um, um uh, Mike Wilmot. Mm-hmm. I loved Wilmot, and I loved watching him uh, for his um, uh, for the energy that he the, the the speed and the patter of it. You know, um, Cognito before that, Mm. watching Incognito for the anger of Mm. it. Uh, And then Rich Hall for the free flowing, free form way that he just he associates one idea with another. Mm. And I asked him and he said, no, he's got no plan. He's got no plan. He just starts talking and sees what happened. I thought, right, I'm going to do that. So I I started doing it. And some nights it feels very bitty, you know, because you for whatever reason, your head's not very clear and you're not free associating very well. But some nights, when it when it's flying along, the gigs can just go like that. Mm. They, because you're not, you're just making the links in your head, and often you're finding stuff within there that you hadn't even thought about. You know, you you're, you're you start talking about one thing, and something else occurs to you. you. Think, oh, it's not even. I'll do that. You just do that, and then as you're doing that, something else occurs to you, and off you go. And every so often, if I was doing an hour show, right, I'd, I'd I'd suddenly find myself juddering to a halt i'd dive in the audience and that would happen once or twice in mm. the show and that would set me off on another little route and off I'd
0: so go. so if you do say just using the example of the store still if you do sort of four or five shows over the weekend yeah how much will it will your stuff change from gig to gig Is it, if you've done if you've done that and free formed and and had some i mean presumably there's kind of like tentpole bits that you are you know or, or stuff that you've done before you kind of like ramble for a bit no. And then get to a point that you know? No, not at oh, all. Oh,
2: well, I mean, there are a bit, obviously, there's bits I've done before. It's not it's not completely made up. Sure. But it's, but it's in a completely different order. Yes, it's okay. okay. I did two nights out of the creek um, at Christmas before last, or last Christmas maybe. Uh, John Robbins was comparing. Mm-hmm. And he, um, I saw him and he said, I watched you do those shows. And it was two almost completely different 20 minutes. hmm so I don't know. I have no idea. But it just comes out, and and so I, I guess you know I could do five shows at the store, and they could be five fundamentally different shows about different things.
0: And you, but do you have like a closer that you get to? No, you no. just it just ends. Put, you go, light
2: on and go. Because right, I figure that everything <laughs> I figure that everything is funny enough to close on. It's not like yes. I need. You know what? It's not like a big crescendo. I, I when I used to write, I remember I used to do twenty minute sets, and I would and I would write, and I would have callbacks. So yeah, I'm I was going to say, it
0: must be a nightmare for callbacks. You might, I don't you?
2: really do callbacks. I yeah. do callbacks based on what occurs to me in the middle of the gig, and that often will become a thing because I'll, I'll say something early on and then I'll do it later and, it, and it's, I've never done it in that order before and suddenly it makes sense to go, ah, because this yeah, bit yeah. relates to that bit and they'll all go and they all clap because they're all congratulating themselves on <laughs> how clever they are. <laughs> yeah. with going ah oh, that was a bit we were talking about 10, years ago, uh, 10 minutes ago. But no, I don't, it, it's genuinely 20 minutes of burbling on and at the end of 20... People say, what time do you want to light 18? I say, 19 and a half. Mm. Light me when you, you want, want me to light get out off. When the I stop. Yeah, then I'll okay. stop. I won't stop mid-joke, but I'll stop shortly after. Yes. Anyway, that's my time. Thank you. And it, and it you know, because in the end, it's only 20 minutes of talking. It doesn't really matter, does it? You know, I figure that they're not going to... Oh, well, he was all right, but the end just sort of burbled away a bit. It
0: doesn't matter. What things are you not so good at? If you had to review yourself, no, let's take it out of the scope of reviews. But given that your your abilities are, you're very experienced. You're you're kind of on the, the top trump's card of Ian Stone. You've got, uh, you know, your anger fires underneath everything. You've you've got all of these. Like these are all your kind of special skills. What are your weaknesses? What are the things that you you think I, I wish I'd be? You know, are there other things that you you yearn to be a bit better at? Other things maybe you notice other comics doing and you go, oh, I wish I, wish I had that person's Yeah, I'm not... I,
2: I, I was talking the other day about Michael McIntyre and his ability to, to do any accent beautifully. Mm. And, I, and I've never... I'm, I'm getting better at it because I've realised what you've got to do is commit. You know? Uh, so getting, <laughs> is that right? Is that the secret? I think so. so. <laughs> you basically... Well, it almost, when, you're, when you're doing it, you almost feel like a caricature of it. It feels like a caricature. Yes. But... It's a comedy performance. The whole thing, to a certain extent, is slightly caricatured. So, uh, yeah, that would be useful. Storytelling. It's never been... I'm not a storyteller. Not really. I mean, I can tell stories. But we said earlier, I like gags. I really Mm. like punchlines. Jenny Eclair said to me once, just because they're not laughing doesn't mean they're not listening. And I thought yeah that would be useful if I wanted to go to Edinburgh again and mm. do an hour show. Not that I'd do right I'd rather okay. eat my own leg but <laughs> but i uh I think storytelling you know that sort of i mean in the end i'm almost we're almost talking about things that I'm just not. I'm not yes. a storyteller you know and i, I don't even I don't even want to be a storyteller really it would just be i suppose a useful thing that I could.
0: Sure, but is there, is there I'm anything... I'm not very good at that. I'm not very good at that sort yes. of storytelling thing. Is there anything you're not that you would want to be?
2: No, not really. I mean, I'm, I am what I am. I do this and you know what? This is what I do and this is the way I do it. And, you know, I, I mean, I watch loads of comics. I wish I was just better at this. That's what I wish. I wish I was better at doing what I'm doing. I watch George Carlin talk about politics and I go, that's the level I Mm. want to be at, right? That's where I want to be. Um, You know, it's it's that sort of thing, really. It's watching other comics. I watch Bill Bailey burble on about nonsense and I think that's the level I want to be at. Mm. I watch Dylan Moran... And, and his the way he does things. I watch Boopy Graffo and how, you know, there's so many people. Omid, I've worked with Omid a lot and he is an amazing performer. Way better than me, right? Mm. Way better than me. Gets away with what I think he would admit is sometimes it's not that good a joke, but it doesn't matter because he just, they love watching him and bless him. You know, I love watching him too. So there's all those things you can improve about yourself, but... I just want to be better at what I do. I don't want to be what I'm not, you know? I mean, I say storytelling. I never want to be a storyteller, really. I just like making... I like gags. I genuinely like jokes.
0: Do Do you have a sense of what you would need to... What specifically you would need to be doing? You would need to, to change or what specifically you'd need to be better at in order that you could get the kind of touring following to be able to fill 500 seats in any city, say? I, I mean,
2: uh, Eddie is odd. I know Eddie pretty well. And, Eddie's, and he, does it, he says it to a few people, but he's always on at me to tour, right? He says, I should tour. It's ridiculous. I'm not touring. And, I think, and that's very nice. And it does get in my head a little bit, right? And I, I'd rather he didn't to a certain, to, to a certain extent. But I, I appreciate someone that, that good and someone that famous and that, that famous, that successful and good Ooh. at what he does to think that I'm good enough to do that, mm-hmm. right? Um, but honestly, I sort of know that anyway. I just, for whatever reason, things haven't quite worked out in terms of tele profile or stuff like that. And so I don't have that. I can't, but I don't, I don't think I would have to make a fundamental change in what I do to mm-hmm. go out and entertain a thousand people a night and then for them to come away and go, he's one of the best comics I've ever seen. Because mm-hmm. I don't, if you're asking me, I think I'm as good as most people. I don't have a an issue in my head, or I need to get better at this and that. I just I think that you would I definitely think that if you do an hour and a half show you do improve. Mm. I think that you you find a different way of expressing yourself. But the truth is that I don't think I would do things fundamentally differently if I was doing an hour and a half than if I was doing twenty minutes. I mean I said to you, you said to me before this, I need to watch, have you got hour shows on tape? Yeah, and I said no. But watch five minutes, and that will give you. That's exactly what I do, sure. and I and I don't think it would be any different if I did an hour and a half. I might do slightly more long form stories, but it doesn't. You know what I do is what I do.
0: So, so is the, so is it just a case of not having had the TV profile, or not being particularly zeitgeist, or not having a, you know not having the luck. That means you're no, in a different
2: it's nothing, position. It's not. No, listen. I, I've done a couple of mock the weeks, and it hasn't. And I've man, I haven't managed really to get a word in, you know. And okay. and you and I wasn't ready. Right. That's the truth of it. I Is that not, right? Yeah, I was nowhere near ready. I, I was always intimidated by the whole thing, mm. like mock the week buzzcocks. I did a couple. I did a couple of mock the weeks and the buzzcocks, and I never really did what I could do on them. Right. Um, now I could do them. Because I don't give a shit now. Yes. Right. I'm, I'm so couldn't care less. Uh, and if I went on them, that's the attitude you need. You just don't, you essentially don't accept the premise. You just, yes. this is what I do. So the comics have done well on What the Week. Milton Jones, uh, uh, Stuart Francis have done well on What the Week. Mm. In the end, they're just their own, in order for them to deliver their jokes everything just stops while they do what they do. Yes. And so and 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 if the joke works, they keep it in and it looks great and so consequently Milton is now doing 12 1500 seat theaters. Whereas um for me it's a slight I had to had to find a way in and I didn't do that when I when I did those shows. And if I had, then maybe I would be touring at this point. And do you
0: feel like you only get one go? Or maybe you know, a couple of shows. You only get one phase of like we'll try him. You know what?
2: i've I've got a telly show right i've got a telly show that works on bt that i'm presenting every week and i have good comics who come in and sit and we talk shit about something we love and so i'm on that path and i'll just do that and if i get mop the week or if i get alan davis's show whatever show and i can do well on them then maybe that'll lead to other stuff Mm -hmm. but i can't be getting hung up about that
0: let's talk quickly about uh the army gigs You've done, because yeah. I, oh, go on, what, what's, what's that reaction? What well, that I know I haven't,
2: I haven't done one for a while, but yeah, Oh, okay, yeah.
0: okay, I just noticed from your, but I don't think I've had anyone on the show that we've ended up talking about them before. I'm just, I'm just fascinated, I've never done them before. You do gigs for decompressing soldiers in,
2: in Cyprus. Cyprus. I've or done you them, do... I've done Headley Court for the seriously injured Okay, people who come back with their legs blown off okay. and brain injuries, and you do gigs for them. And I've done, I've been to Afghanistan a couple of times. How yeah. was that?
0: Just to, I mean, well, what... it was
2: a trip, isn't it? I mean, it's, you just go, uh, do you want to go to Afghanistan? And they pay you quite a lot of money as well. You know, I mean, everyone, it's amazing to say, they all go, thanks for coming. You think, this is more money than I've ever <laughs> anything in my life. And I'm prepared to put myself in some sort of danger in order to get that cash, if I'm honest. <laughs> but you don't say
0: that to them. You say it's all. Right, yeah, they're not doing right. a corporate, are they? Right. <laughs> no, and,
2: and, and uh, what are they like? You know what? You learn how to deal with them. They're not easy gigs, in
0: truth. I mean, I've heard from the perspective of, a, uh, of an act, I was going to say I've heard horror stories. I don't mean in terms of get, mm. people getting blown up, which is obviously real horror stories. But from the perspective of an act, I've heard, like, you know, the decompression ones are just, they're, they're naked within two seconds and jumping around the place. They can get
2: a bit crazy, but you know what? They've been in the war zone for six months. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean,
0: look, I'm nothing if not adaptable.
2: That's the truth of it. I've done a lot of comparing, I've done a lot of late night gigs so I can adapt. And if it's going to go mad, it's not like I've got an act.
0: Yeah, sure. Okay. I yeah. don't.
2: By the way, I never call it an act. Okay. I never call it. What people say to me, oh, you act," and I go, "I don't. I don't even like that phrase. It's not an act. Mm. It's just me talking. It, it, it's not
0: an act. It's right? it's twenty minutes of whatever you decide and to whatever
2: do. Whatever I decide to do. Mm. And there's no it, there's no there's artfulness to it in the way that I might jerk people around. But it's not an act. And so, in terms of the army gigs uh, or the troop gigs you know what, it's just a different environment and let's see what happens. And I'd write a few bits and pieces for them that they really like and try and keep it related to them. And, you know, if you're, if you're going, Do you know what it's like when you're on the tube? You know, and they go, well, yeah, but we don't care. We're in, you know, Kabul. Yeah. We don't yeah. care. And, it, and so you try and talk to them on a level, really. And, and um, yeah, they're fun. They're fun and they're, and they're exciting. So it's exciting to go to these places because well, you know I've been to Afghanistan. I mean, it's ridiculous, and it's quite a lot of us who've have been. And mm. I've been to Bosnia and Sarajevo, and 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 I went to oh, good God! I went to what was it? Banja Luka in uh, in Kosovo, not Banja Luka. Yeah, it was. I think it was. Bad, but I went to Kosovo as well, right? You know, these are like war zones. Ten years ago, there was ethnic cleansing going on, mm. and then you're in this aircraft hangar in these places, and you are entertaining people. It's um, it's different from going to the Glee Club in Birmingham, and that's why you do it. I do it just because you think, all right, this will be interesting. And I did it, but as for the gigs, they're just gigs. They're just normal gigs with just people in uniform. But I don't treat them really that much differently. I just try and talk to them a little bit about their situation. But in the end, I'm there. Like, this is what
0: annoys me. Here it is.
2: Yeah, doesn't this annoy you too?
0: Have you seen people in those environments like? come unstuck? Are there ways not to do it?
2: Yeah, no, I've had a couple of gigs which have been a bit dicey. Um, um, Yeah, I mean, I've seen people struggle a little bit once in a while at decompression. People have struggled, you know, but it's really just lack of experience, I think, Mm. lack of not being able to, you've got to front up, haven't you? I mean, I mean, you remember, these are guys who've, who've been together in the field, lost friends, you know killed or mm. seriously injured and so they couldn't really give a shit about you mm. and you can't and you can't hold it you can't hold it against them and you can't take it personally it's not about you so you just do the 20 minutes you paid for and you don't take any of it personally and then you you know go and have a meal somewhere it's not i don't think of them i mean the gigs are are the least memorable part of the trip yeah yeah okay it can be exciting i did one the first one we did in kandahar and it was me and four other comics it was tom Stade and uh andy askins can't remember Mm. uh, barry Casanova, i think and there were two and a half thousand people in this big square and it was great it was a night time but it was warm and they made it and they dressed the stage beautifully and it was exciting Mm. it was i mean i cannot say it It was really exciting the only thing the only weird thing was after there's no booze because what you want to do is nick two drinks, as soon as you get off, because you're yeah. so... Ah! But uh, you can't. So you just have to come down as best you can. <laughs> it's not easy, actually, after a gig like that.
0: What sorts of things do you see newer acts do? Do you watch the new acts when I mean, people do open spots at the store? Do you watch... Not really, no. Okay. <laughs> Maybe we're on to a non-starter. Not really. I, was...
2: I compare the gong show... Okay. Uh, once every year. Okay. And, but I'm not there to watch the acts. I mean, I will watch them because I have to keep an eye on the show. But really, I'm there to pick holes in if, what they do.
0: If you could stamp out one thing in comedy, what would it be? Well,
2: if you'd have asked me a year ago, I'd have said, anybody who hasn't been doing comedy 15 years should not be talking about pedophiles. Say... Should not be doing edgy stuff. Yeah. If you describe yourself as edgy and you're still under thirty, stop it. I think <laughs> really, I just don't. You know what? People people have to find their way. You know, if they can talk about what they want to talk about, and and it, it's not it shouldn't be for me to to tell them as some elder statesman who knows. You know, I don't. All I know is what I do really. I can watch other people and and uh and and sometimes go, Oh, if you added that bit to there, that might help. And generally they, they um they receive that uh, uh advice in the in spirit it's intended. In fact it, one person who didn't uh I thought much less of them because of it because I didn't have any I, I just thought oh, you can add this to the gag. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I know what I'm doing.
0: I thought whoa okay, okay. fair how enough new, how new an actor are we talking not like not that new oh, okay not right, that right, new right.
2: somebody should have known better yeah. And i thought okay that's fair enough i won't get involved in that but i'm happy to help out if you know and i'll and i'll say to a newer actor as well one or two of the acts at the gong show even i'll say look that's funny that bit but why don't you try it this way and mm. most of the time they're like oh yeah thank you very much but i wouldn't presume to give advice to them freely but i would just say write as much as you can just turn it over, keep working, keep writing, Keep and write about
0: stuff that you care about.
2: That's what I would say.
0: So that was Ian. Thank you so much to him for coming on the show uh, and thanks f- for coming around my flat and making that all easy. So nice when people can just turn up and it's all plugged in and we're ready to go. And I, I really enjoyed that conversation. It's really good to get to know Ian a bit better and to get to know... His perspective from someone who has just been so good for so long, hearing that that concept of how he doesn't even really know what he's going to do when he walks on it, even the story or a corporate or a prestige kind of a gig, that he just goes on and has enough gear and enough ideas and enough angles and enough understanding of the basic bare bones of it all that he can just go on and, and not exactly improvise, but just not know what he's going to say and bring it all together. Every single time. I've never seen Ian not do terrifically well. So thank you very much to Ian. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to Nathan for his uh, co-production and editing help as usual. Cheers, Nathan. Uh, Coming up next week, Nazim Hussain. I think we'll do Nazim next. uh, And plenty more goodies uh, for you coming up shortly. That tailed off. I'll I'll leave it there. I've got got too much shit to do to be editing out me tailing off. So uh, a lovely little sentence to finish this episode with. Let's all get back to work. Remember, the Comedian's Comedian podcast is not... Recording the Comedian's Comedian podcast is not an adequate substitute for getting on with booking things and using the internet. And all of those are oh, fucking... No, let, This is, it's tailed off too much. No, we keep, we keep it in. We keep it in. It's in. We've tailed off. We're out.